From Relay FM, this is Connected, episode number 45. Today's show is brought to you by Igloo, an internet you'll actually like, Casper, because everyone deserves a great night's sleep, and AppCamp for Girls. Support their crowdfunding campaign now. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined, as always, by the wonderful Mr. Federico Vitici. Why is your accent getting worse every time? It's it's just I'm going for different types of Italian now. I figure I'm just going to mix it up. Um, so I these... practice. I practice at home, you know. So these are types of Italian that you made up on your own. It's... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, hi, Mike. How are you? I am very well. How are you? I'm I'm well. Yeah. Thank you. So. Steven is chasing a spaceship right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he's actually going to a shuttle launch. Yeah, he's fed up with our, our discussions about, you know, young stuff like music, streaming, photos, you know. So he's going to live on the moon. So, yeah, he decided to go to the moon and just, you know, I'm done. And yep. We, 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 we support your decision, Steven. So in protest um, of him missing this week, we had decided to replace him. Uh, with the only man that could replace him, which is the wonderful Mr. Underscore David Smith. Evening, gentlemen. How are you? Very well, sir. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for being here today. That's good, though. I'm pretty sure Steven's not going to a shuttle launch because I don't think we launch those anymore. But it's something. SpaceX, something's maybe? Going to, something's going to space, and that does sound exciting. It's, it's probably maybe more exciting than Connected, but I don't know. We'll see. I doubt that. I really doubt well, that. Well, I don't know. We have a man who makes 2,000 apps for the iPhone and the iPad here that as true. a guest. That, that's pretty exciting, that's if you ask me. Yeah. The reason that we spoke, that we picked David is because if you lay all of his app icons down together, um, they will reach the moon. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how many, how many apps, seriously? Like uh, 120, 50? <sighs> I, I, it's a, it's a funny question because I, I really, I've, I've probably developed something in the realm of between sixty and a hundred unique apps on the store. I have a few hundred though because some of those apps were things that were, um, like content driven, and so there's multiple mm-hmm. instances of the same thing. But yeah, there, there are a few hundred, um, on the app store with my name on them. So man, that's so crazy. But I've been doing it for seven years. It's, I mean, it's not, yeah. it's not too crazy. I mean, how, you know, it's like, how many articles did you write on Mac stories? You've, you've just been doing it. 10,000. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. I know. So we're going to talk about, um, we're going to talk a bit about WWDC, but from the developer's perspective, you see that uh, a little later on today um, in this show. But before we do that, we do have a couple of, of smaller topics because Federico has been doing some interesting stuff. Or oh, we're not doing follow up this week. I've decided to take that hostage in protest. Um, what will Steven need to do to uh, to pay the ransom for the for the follow up? That's a really good. Uh, a, I had not thought about that. We should come back to that. Yeah, uh, that's uh, f- you know, for next week, let's make sure we we have an actual plan to to bring back the follow up. Uh, Mike, I wanted to make uh, another confession to you today. Uh, you know, I'm using iOS nine. I told you last yep. week, mm-hmm. uh, and I updated to the beta to uh, today, both on my iPhone and my iPad. I did that. So last week, last week we talked about my my usage of the Notes app on my on my phone and my iPad, and even my Mac for you know those two times every week when I use my Mac. And so alongside the Notes app, what I've also been using is Reminders, 
hmm. uh, on iOS 9. So uh, listeners of Connected and readers of Mac Stories know that I've been going, uh, you know, back and forth for the past two years, you know, reminders and Todoist. And for over a year, I used Todoist, but when I when iOS 9 came out uh, two weeks ago, I was really curious to see the changes in reminders, uh, you know, because I've, I've also started working on my review of iOS 9 and I feel like I need to know what, what's in the actual OS. Uh, and that includes knowing, you know, Apple apps and the changes that they have. Um, so in reminders, I said to myself, I want to use this app as my only to-do system for a couple of weeks. And right now, uh, it, that's easy for me because in Todoist, I don't have many projects anyway. Uh, you know, my to-do uh, situation kind of gets crazy before September and before all the OS releases, but right now it's kind of calm and quiet so I can easily transfer even manually from one app to another so I thought okay I'm, I'm gonna try reminders and see and see what's new and so besides the fact that iCloud Sync is really fast for me at least right now and I already spoke about this uh, about notes uh, changes propagate in real time and when I launched these apps both notes and reminders if changes are not already there I just need to wait like two seconds so from a from a speed perspective they're really really fast and, and I like that and and of course I get all these you know integrations with Siri I can I kind of miss the ability to say to just like bring up Siri especially now that I have Siri on my on my on my watch to just say remind me to do this and and it's just saved I don't have to use an app or worse on the Apple watch to bring up uh, the uh, third-party app which is slow does so, Todoist not do that thing where you can set up a, a reminders no. list it doesn't do no. that okay no because OmniFocus no. does that I don't have that set up because it's not really the way that I work yeah. um but uh, yeah that is something you can do you can have it it does something weird with reminders that I don't fully understand but you can mm -hmm. you can do it that way yeah so Besides these obvious kind of features that I that I maybe that I forgot about and and now they're nice to have again, um, what I really like in reminders in iOS nine is the ability to say remind me about this, and depending on what you're looking at, you will get a, like a special reminder in the app, and by special I mean you will have an icon next to the reminder and you can tap the icon to go back to the like to the source to where you said hmm. uh, or maybe where you use the share sheet to say I want to make these a reminder so these can be a web page in Safari or an email message a message from you icon on the messages app it can be a calendar event you can say to Siri remind me about this and it will know what is this it'll look at what's on the screen it'll save a reminder for what you're looking at and you will get a deep link in the reminders app so when it when the item is due you can just 
tap the the icon and you go back to the web page or the message or whatever so you can you know complete your reminder and what's also very nice this works from the uh from siri from the new reminders extension in the share sheet so i i save a lot of links every day so when i'm in safari i can just save a link with the share sheet and later i get this safari icon in the reminder and i can tap it and i will go back to the to the web page in safari which is nice but what's also really nice right now is that even apps that and now i want to ask david about this even apps that don't that haven't been updated for ios 9 uh, if you say remind me about this and if that app third-party app uh, already uses handoff so the ns user activity api it's already capable of exposing this activity to reminders so if you go to twitterific right now in the ios 9 beta and even if you don't have an ios 9 build of the app uh, look at a profile screen in twitterific and say remind me about this and you will get uh, you will get a special like twitterific reminder and you will you know get the the app icon in the reminder you tap the app icon and you will go back to that specific screen into terrific which is really really handy uh, david what's the what's the deal with ns user activity if you if you know about this so you, the user activities are the reason that works and the reason i think apple did a, a very smart thing in the way they structured user activities is that they are very um, generic that it's basically just a way for an app to say I'm in the middle of doing something if some other app would be interested in that thing um, you know here's some information that will be relevant to them if they wanted to recreate where I am and so that's works for handoff that makes sense where you know if you're on your phone and you're looking at a particular page your Mac can know about it or your Mac or your, or your watch can know about it or you can go all the way around because it's just saying here's something that the user is doing right now um, and so the reason it works even there if they haven't even supported uh, iOS 9 yet is just any any app that exposes that type those types of hooks into their application that says like here's some interesting things that the users do in my app um, will be able to just very easily hook into that and you know pull it up and so that's when they say I want to do this like this becomes more specific than just open the app it's this thing that I'm doing and um, so that's why it works there and it's you know it's a pretty straightforward mechanism and I think. A lot of the stuff Apple's doing in iOS 9 and on the watch ties into that same kind of user activity stuff. Um, and you can do a whole lot with it uh, as a result. Nice. So, yeah, I've been, I've been doing these um, capturing information from apps a lot with reminders. And it's super handy because I, I'm looking at apps every day. Uh, whether it's, you know, news that I need to cover or messages that I need to remember. So... For instance, my girlfriend asks me a lot of stuff every day, and if I don't save this information, I forget. So just being able to save a message and you get the title of the last message from a conversation into the reminder, and then you can tap the messages icon in the reminder, you go back to the conversation, that's awesome. And so combining these, you know, I can bring up Siri and say, remind me about this, and I can use the share sheet uh, with the extension to maybe because I, I cannot, you know, talk to Siri in public. Uh, it's been very useful to uh, capturing, like, my state, uh, what I'm doing and remembering later what I need to do. Uh, I find this communication, you know, with reminders and apps and there's deep links you can tap, you go back straight into the app and into the relevant section. That's awesome. And 
like it's only been two weeks i already see the utility the utility for like the kind of stuff that i do i'm not sure if I mean, of course, third-party developers won't be able to uh, bring up their own apps with Siri. I, I don't know if they will be able to do the same with the share sheet alone. So if they can build an extension that looks at the activity, I'm not sure they can do that. Uh, so th that's, that's one of the things that I really like in Reminders. And in general, I feel like it's too soon to tell maybe. Um, I, I don't think I can say, yeah, I want to switch to reminders because of these and these. Uh, it's two very nice features, um, but I don't know. I'll, right now I can say that I'm satisfied with the, with the iCloud sync and this stuff with the deep links and activities, it, it's really well done. Uh, but I want to see how it progresses, you know, with the iOS 9 betas to see how it works. I can, I can say that I've been doing... You know, I've been I've been working well. Uh, I've been completing my tasks. I'm not too behind with my inbox and my to-do list. So, uh, as a, as a, as an as a basic app, it is working. Uh, is it better than Todoist? I don't know. We'll see. Do you not find that like you sometimes feel like it's a little too simple? Like there are things that you want to do but can't do. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I feel like like it's too basic for me. Like. And I talked about this last year when I when I switched to Todoist. Uh, I don't think Reminders is the kind of app that can scale when you when you become too busy. Like last year, it was crazy for me to cover the launch of iOS eight and to organize all the stuff, you know, multiple projects, and I need to keep track of different uh, types of articles that I need to publish. So I don't think Reminders is meant for that kind of management when you have too much stuff going on and too many people you have to deal with because this is these are just you know lists that you can share with other people if you want to uh, but maybe there's a possibility that you know this better integration with apps uh, can kind of make reminders a little more flexible uh, I don't know it's uh it's very early to tell so I'm skeptical that it can be of course it, it won't be as you know powerful as to do is where I, I can create filters I can you know hook up with uh, the app with ifttt and there's a python api that I can use you can do crazy things with Todoist uh, that's not possible with reminders but there's this new stuff with the uh, Siri and activities that's really cool uh, so I, I will keep using it this summer that that's for sure maybe on um, you know until things get really crazy with work uh i will keep using reminders so we'll see yeah i found actually i use i've started using reminders a lot myself um since i got the watch because mm. that it's a it's it, and it's not replacing my like omnifocus like project-based to-dos but it would it the reminders app seems to be really, really good at is like have your working list of not like the things that are long term and that and you know that you need to worry about you know over the over several weeks or months or trying to like organize something big and complicated, but for just the small actual things that are like where they really are reminders, not to dos and yeah. not like tasks. It's thing, but it's like it's amazing to pick up my watch and just say you know remind me to do this when I get 
home or those types of things. And then they're just right there. Like I never had to open an app. I didn't have to take anything out. Um, so I found that I'm starting to use reminders a lot more for that kind of thing. And it's just sort of like running in parallel for these types of, yeah, much more sort of just, you know, things, tasks that I'm expecting to do probably in the next couple, you know, few hours rather than things I'll be working on over the course of several months. Um, and Federico, you also purchased something. Yeah. You, you did a mic. I did, I did a mic, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's a move. Uh, yeah. So I, I wanted to, to kind of bring Bluetooth to my car because I have an old, uh, like, very basic cable setup. Uh, so there's an audio jack coming up from my dashboard and I just plug in my iPhone and listen to music and podcasts. So I, I knew that there was a, a way to kind of retrofit, uh, you know, cars like mine with some sort of Bluetooth accessories. So I went to Amazon and I got these Oki, it's called A-U-K-E-Y, Oki device. It's like a little puck that you stick to your car's dashboard. And it's like a, it's like a, also like a, like a little knob that you can twist to change volume, change tracks. And of course, there's a button in the middle that you can uh, press to bring up Siri, answer and, and voice calls, and also to do a bunch of other interactions with your iPhone. So, so this is not CarPlay. This is not CarPlay. This is just basic. Uh, what's the standard A2DP for Bluetooth? It's basic Bluetooth communication with the, you know, for iOS. And well, the the second reason, so the first reason is that I wanted to have Bluetooth in my car because, you know, it's I, I always struggle to kind of plug and unplug when I'm driving and maybe I need to answer a phone call and, you know, it's, it's super inconvenient. So um, the second reason is that uh, in iOS 9, and specifically in reminders, there's a, a way to create reminders for when you get and when you leave your car. And so I was curious because there, there's no documentation from Apple. Uh, you can only say, remind me to do this when I get in my car or remind me to do this when I leave my car. And reminders will, will instead of having like a due date or like a location uh, reminder, it will create this new car reminder and but Apple doesn't say whether it's only for CarPlay devices or if it works with Bluetooth Bluetooth devices that it recognizes right uh, as being a, a car Bluetooth device. Uh, so you can buy like a generic one from Amazon, like I did, and say remind me when I'm in my car, and iOS will know that that's a Bluetooth device that you keep in your car, and you will, it will fire off the reminder. So I really wanted to try this because there's a lot of stuff that I need to um, that I need to do as soon as I get in my car. Like sometimes I uh, I need to I need to take out the trash, and there's no uh, what's the name of when you leave the trash, uh, the, like the garbage area. Uh, it's not near my house. I need to drive there. So I need to keep the trash in the backseat of my car. And sometimes I forget, like I just drive by and I keep the trash in the backseat of my car. And of course, it's always, you know, it's, it's not a good solution to, to forget to, to, to leave the trash in the proper garbage disposal area. Um, 
so there's stuff that I need to do when I, when I, when I, when as soon as I enter my car, like for instance, with Bluetooth, I could remember to call my mom when I'm in my car, I'm driving somewhere and I can just call my, my mom or some other person. And so I wanted to try this today. I got the device, I set it up. It was easy enough. And I tried it with iOS 9 beta one. So it was my afternoon. The beta two was still not out and they didn't work. I got a bunch of people on Twitter saying that uh, even if it's not CarPlay, these new car reminders in iOS 9 will uh, have been working for them uh, with generic Bluetooth uh, devices like mine. It wasn't working for me, um, but I also got other people saying, yeah, it's been buggy for me as well. It doesn't work. And so it's it's not clear right now whether these new types of reminders for getting in and leaving your car will work. Uh, even if you don't have CarPlay, I really don't want to buy a CarPlay device because they're too expensive. And because I have that kind of dashboard that it's like it's all in it's an all in one setup. So I, I, I would need to go to a mechanic to kind of <laughs> basically change the entire thing and to to kind of put in one of those aftermarket pioneer devices i don't want to do that They're don't do that just for reminders i don't yeah of course i don't want to do you know it would be nice to test them so maybe the beta 2 i will try again tomorrow maybe it will work maybe it won't maybe there's some more digging that i need to do to understand this what types of devices it'll work with or maybe apple will clarify this you know eventually um, i don't know it, it will be great it would be great for me to have this i don't know if it, if it works with the with the all key device that i bought well there you go i look forward to hearing back um, maybe you can record next week from the car trying to add reminders. I think it sounds terrible. There's a built-in microphone in the, in the, in the device, but I don't oh, think it perfect. sounds perfect. That's all we need. <laughs> oh yeah, sure. It's like a little, little, uh, dot in the, in the, in the device. I'm not sure that the quality would be great, Mike. I'm calling you from the car. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. That sounds great. So professional. I, I'm, I'm, I'm turning this into a theatrical thing over here now. All right, let's let's dig into some of this developer stuff. But before we do that, uh, let's uh, do a quick thanks to our friends over at Casper for sponsoring this week's episode of Connected. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses that you can get for a fraction of the price of what you will find in stores. The mattress industry has always been forcing consumers into paying really high prices because they use dealers and showrooms and resellers and all that kind of stuff. But what Casper does is it takes all of that away and passes those savings directly to the consumer. For example, mattresses can often cost well over $1,500, but Casper mattresses cost between $500 for a twin, $750 for a full size, $850 for a queen, and $950 for a king-sized mattress. And all of Casper's mattresses are made in America, and they have developed their own new hybrid mattress that combines premium latex foam with memory foam. And these two technologies come together for better nights and brighter days because it has just the right sink and just the right bounce. A Casper mattress will provide you with long-lasting supportive comfort, but also they're very, very resilient. Now, buying mattresses online kind of seems crazy for so many reasons, because they're shipping them to you, which is one, but they actually ship them in these boxes, which is crazy. So like this this box arrives, which is impossibly small, 
you just can't I mean, you think, oh they're obviously this is some other thing and they're going to summon a mattress later but no you open the box and the, the mattress is all tucked away in there and you unfold it out and you un you basically you open this bag and like all of the air just gets sucked into the mattress and it starts to kind of come to life it's a it's a very interesting thing to see it kind of like breathes its way back to life again it's kind of crazy i don't really know how they do that it must be some sort of incredible robots that get those mattresses in those boxes but casper also understands that buying a mattress online is an interesting thing because you know people are used to thinking oh you go to the showroom and you try it out but when you're going to a showroom and trying out a mattress you're like sitting down on it you're in your regular clothes you've got your shoes on so you're not laying on it you like sit down for a minute or two and then you kind of say yep that's the one that i want that kind of seems crazy because you're going to be sleeping on this thing every night for years so what casper does is they will ship the mattress to you and it's completely risk-free so you you buy the mattress that you want they ship it to you and they offer they give free delivery, but they also do free returns within a 100-day period. So if you've been sleeping on it and you think it's not the one right one for you and you want to change it, you can do that. Or you want to return it, you can do that. It's completely risk-free for 100 days because Casper want you to enjoy your mattress. So they do that for you. It's really, really cool. Listeners of this show can get $50 off towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash connected and use the code connected. It's get you $50 off. Terms and conditions apply. See the site for details. Thank you so much to Casper for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. So, underscore, you were at WWDC. We were there together, but you actually attended the real conference. Um, I did. And so you've you know you've been in there. You've seen session videos. You've been to keynotes and stuff like that. Um, now that we're a couple of weeks removed, uh, as a developer, what is your overall impressions of the announcements? Like, are you happy with them? Are you, were you left wanting? Does it feel better or worse than last year? So I think there's two kinds of WWDCs that I've ever I've been to, and I have been to W. I've been fortunate enough to go for the last seven of them. Um, where some years it's sort of like they're like laying laying the foundations, like they're digging everything up and laying the concrete and build it and putting stuff onto developers that are like foundational for things to come. But in the near term can be a little bit crazy for, you know, for, as a developer, it was like, there's all these things that you have to adopt, all these things you need to take care of. Um, and you have those years, like those foundational years. And then you have years that are more like, I don't know, architectural years that are just like, you have this foundation now build a house on it. Um, and this year I would say is the latter where, we got um, Apple's been do, making all these investments over the last couple of years into into technologies and things that, um, as long as we've been sort of keeping up with them, this year we just like here's a whole bunch of stuff that just makes things better and easier and simpler. Um, but you're not going to have to tear anything down and rebuild it. And so I like those years as a developer, <laughs> as somebody who makes you know like who makes my life makes my living making these apps. Like it's nice to not have to feel like I'm. Um, like sometimes I come into this part of the summer and just look at all my apps and it's like, all right, well, you know, like burn it all, burn them all down and <laughs> let's, let's get started. Cause that's just, you know, what Apple does. Like, you know, last year it was size classing and all the very flexible layout stuff. And the year before was Iowa seven, which, you know, was a radical visual, um, and, uh, design departure. Whereas this year, it's just like things are just better and things are nice. And so I like years like this because, you know, I'll probably enjoy my summer a bit more. Yeah, I guess it's nice to have this year after two crazy years, like, for, for as you say, like burn it down and start again kind of stuff. 
Yeah, it's it's and it's and it's, it's the benefit of the way Apple tends to roll too. Like, I you can look you can you can very easily often look back at what Apple's been doing, and we only get to see sort of their plans once a year, a couple times a year, um, and so we have these few little data points that go along where we're like, okay, they're they're going from here to there to there. But you know, when you look back and you see all the stuff they've done to get to here. It's clearly was intentional. It's not like they're accidentally, you know, stumbling upon, you know, that they introduced auto layout and they introduced um, size classes and then then they made you know introduced big phones and now they're doing split view on the iPad. Like there's all these very clear linear progressions and so it's like it's reassuring when we have these years, but it's also nice because it's like if you've been making the investments early, you know, for the last couple of years then you finally get a payoff here where it's like everything should be roughly, you know, in place for you. What um, what have been some of your favorite announcements, additions or changes that came out of WWDC that either make uh, your work a little easier or will allow you to take your apps further? I think the most exciting things for me this year are all on the watch, pretty much. There's a few things on, the, on iOS um, that are nice, like there's a new layout controlled stack view which will make some of the things a lot i do a lot easier um there's a few other sort of bits and pieces but uh, for me the biggest things that i'm most excited about um, are on the watch and basically making it a full development platform now like before you could you know you could do stuff and you could make watch apps but i mean anyone who's used watch apps in their current state knows they're not particularly capable there's not a lot a lot of things they really can't do they're not autonomous and so coming into this summer and looking at to look at it as like the watch is now a, a, a platform in its own right is is very exciting to me. You went to the sessions and the the labs and and stuff like that. I assume this yes. year. What was your your overall opinion? I mean, for as much as you can say, I don't even know if you're allowed to talk about those things in any way. Um, but if you are, what was your kind of feeling about that sort of stuff this time around? Yeah, I mean, I think they continue to do the actual, like, the logistical and, um, like, performance parts of the conference are always really well done. It's it's one of the better run conferences I've ever been to, especially um, given its size and its scope, that it's, you know, it's 5,000 people dealing with all kinds of things, and many of which I'm sure are being kind of pulled together at the last minute, but... You know, all the sessions were really good. Um, I tend to actually not go to that many sessions these days. I tend to spend most of my days in the labs. Um, just I think it's like the I've been doing it long enough that I realized like I can always watch the video of the thing. Yeah. But I it's very rare that I'll have an opportunity to sit down with an Apple engineer and talk to them about what I'm doing. And so even if I don't really have good questions, I'll just find somebody and sit down and talk to them. And you tend to kind of it helps you get it helps you read between the lines a lot better. I find if you start to have you know you, you have these conversations and you ask them, oh, I see you did this you know, why did you do that? And sometimes their answers are things that are helpful to get you a sense of context. And so I do the, spend a lot of that, but it's, it's nice. And it's, I mean, it's, a, it's kind of a crazy week, but it's always a very good, you know, a very good week and logistically everything always works, which is nice, but um, definitely come home completely exhausted. So David, as the developer of the excellent uh, parameter plus plus, what do you think of the changes uh in Earthgate and the announcements. And I know that 
uh, your app uh, maybe won't necessarily use these new features in in HealthKit for developers. But still, I I think I look up to you as one of the experts on these developer technologies. So I kind of wanted to know uh, what you think of the HealthKit changes in in iOS nine. Sure. So I think the biggest. There's there's sort of two categories of changes that they did to HealthKit, um, and I, and I am expecting to make use of a lot of these this summer. But um, they added a bunch of stuff in like the, to the framework in terms of on the data collection side. You can now track reproductive health and UV exposure and a few other like new categories of data, which is like nice. It expands out what HealthKit can do. I think there's a new thing for bulk deleting of entries and kind of keeping track of uh, clearing out data, which is useful, but um, isn't really a, a, a functional improvement. And then I think on the second side, and the thing that makes me most excited is they, they expanded out HealthKit that is now available on the watch as well. Um, and so for me, like I use my wa my watch's primary function beyond, I guess, telling the time for me is mm -hmm. doing activity tracking. And so being able to now properly go back and forth with HealthKit onto the watch is a huge win that I can now access the same kind of APIs and the same data sources that I could from, um, you know, on my phone, I can now access on my watch. And so I can, you know, surface data. And this is like in pedometer plus plus, like the problem I have now is dealing with the data issue between, you know, there's now a, an activity tracker in my phone and there's an activity tracker in my watch and they're independent. You know, they, each device has its own, you know, step counter essentially. And so they'll each have different estimates for how many steps you took. And that's exactly kind of the problem that HealthKit is designed to solve, where it's, you know, it's, it's, it's whole like reason for being is a place to, you know, gather all this data together, aggregate it together in a reasonable way, and then present it to applications for, you know, display. And so the fact that they're now bringing that HealthKit, so HealthKit's everywhere now, I can now show that data and I can integrate, you know, integrate data collected from the watch with the data collected from your phone. You know, theoretically, I could also integrate data collected from any other device um, that you may be you know, counting steps with or doing anything like that. Um, and so I think it's going to maybe be able to, like we can finally present a, a cohesive view that's consistent across all the different places that you might look for that data. Um, and so that's pretty, like for me, that's, those, that's a, a very exciting part about HealthKit because I can open up, you know, there's a whole lot of health and fitness apps that I'm in the early stages of, you know, thinking through or starting to code up because I think it's, you know, it's a really fun place to work. And now like all kinds of things are now possible that just weren't possible before. So David, tell me about, um, the watch OS, because I've seen, uh, I've seen, I feel like some conflicting, like feelings about this. Some people say that it's just what they were looking for. Some people say that it's still not enough. How do you feel uh, about watchOS and what do you think are some of the key parts of it? Yeah, so at a, at a at first blush, I think people who say that who are maybe disappointed about it are, are probably people who weren't invested in it, uh, watch in, into WatchKit before would be my suspicion. Because uh, if you've been doing WatchKit apps before, what they did is incredibly pragmatic where essentially they took like WatchKit apps before where you had the thing that runs on the watch, which is just like the UI part, like just the part the user sees and touches um, was running on the watch. And every all the logic was running on the phone. 
um, but it was running in an extension, you know, separate from the actual application itself. You know, so it's not, it was in this own little bundle. And all they did in watchOS, you know, to, to, a, to a first approximation is they took that logic bundle and now you can run it on the watch. And so the, if you have any existing applications, if you have any code, if you've been doing, going along with this, a lot of your apps will just be better in watchOS 2 with almost no work because they kept everything the same. Like they didn't just say, oh, that, that watch kit thing you've been doing for the last you know six months, just throw that all away. We have this whole new thing. Like they just said, we're going to take what we've been building on and the same paradigms and the same approaches to things are just going to map over to watchOS 2. But now they run on the they run actually on the watch. And so things will, which has two major benefits. I mean, the first one is, I think the one that most people are going to appreciate is that everything is just faster now because everything isn't being streamed over from your phone. So there's not weird Bluetooth issues. There's not weird, you know, just like latency issues, all the stuff that make watch apps right now cumbersome at best and unusable at worst. Like a lot of that just goes away. And now we can do a lot more because because they're running uh, autonomously on the on the watch. You can you no longer need uh, a, you know your phone to be right next to you in order to do things. I mean, there's even stuff now where um, your watch is going to be able to do basic networking over a wireless network that it's a, that it knows. You know, so if your if your phone isn't even nearby, or like you go to work and you're phone you like to leave your phone at home you can still actually do some stuff on your watch because your watch knows that wireless network and it just makes the watch a much more capable device and then they brought onto the watch a whole host of like the frameworks like i was just saying with health kit but they did the same thing with core motion uh pass kit some map kit changes like there's all kinds of these basic frameworks that are the building blocks of ios apps are now available on the watch and so you can do a lot of things. And I mean, I think for me, it's exactly what I was hoping for because I've been spending a lot of time working on WatchKit over the last six months. And so they took the approach of like, okay, if you've been making an investment there, now it pays off. Now you can take all the things you just built and just make them better. So I, of course, I, I want to ask you about the iPad and of course. Uh, split views and slide over. So yeah. have you been looking at... so? A lot of people have been saying if you if you paid attention to Apple in the past two years and, you know, size classes last year, uh, you knew that this was coming. So hopefully you will be ready to support these new multitasking features on the iPad from day one, because if you if you have been paying attention, you 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 you're you already done most of the work. Uh, what have you been doing with your apps? Did you anticipate this type of feature coming to the iPad? Are you ready to, to support uh, multitasking and split view and this new stuff? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, it's, it's I think, it's, I wasn't sure if we would get split screen on the iPad. It was something that's been rumored for a long time. Um, and exactly the form that we got it is fairly consistent with what like the old early rumors of even seems like a year ago, we had a whole bunch of rumors about um, split screen coming to the iPad. But um, I think the biggest thing that honestly has probably paved the way for split screen being really relatively easy for a lot of developers to do, um, and slide over especially, is just the fact that there's the iPhone 6 Plus, which it, from a technical perspective, it was sort of the first device mm -hmm. that fit in this really, that it didn't feel like a, an iPhone in the same way. 
Um, obviously, it is an iPhone, but in, in the sense that it mm -hmm. um, was really bigger. It wasn't just like the going from the four the four S to the five, where like where the screen got taller. It's like okay, well, it's just taller, and like a lot of apps are just a list of things, so you just make the list bigger. Um, and then you know the six is bigger, but it, it wasn't quite as radical of a change for me, at least from in, in my coding work. But the six plus, if you wanted to really take advantage of it, like it's it's a big screen with a lot of things and so you really you really whether you wanted to or not you had to kind of adopt the size classing and dynamic you know adaptive layout stuff and so now when you look at what they're doing on the ipad and split screen it's like well in some ways when the app is running split screen like split screen landscape is conceptually in a lot of ways just like running like two six plus apps at the same time uh, next to each other and slide over is essentially just running a you know like say like a, an iphone 6 or a 5s app on the side you know as on the sidebar that just happens to be really tall um and so a lot of that stuff is pretty straightforward to do if you've been keeping you know, if your app is updated for the 6 plus there's a very good chance that adding support for split screen is going to be you know relatively straightforward Taking full advantage of it is probably going to be a slightly different thing. You know, that's always the case where, like, you can make the app fit on the screen and display reasonably, but you know, you, you always have to get into the questions of: Are you, you know, would you display or adapt your interface differently if it's in split screen mode versus if it's in full screen mode versus if it's running on an iPhone? Um, but technically, it's reasonably straightforward. How much do you use an iPad personally? Not at all. Yeah, see, this is interesting. Um, do you think that that's going to change? So, is there potential to change? Like when you see these, because like, you know, I've, I've been talking about this. I w never used an iPad. Now I use one every day, happily. Um, because, still, still, still using your yeah. iPad, Mike? Okay. Yep. And, and Federico, you're going to be very happy with me. There are some times where I've, I'm doing something, maybe I've like got my iPhone or whatever, and I'm like, this would be easier on the iPad. I've wow. had that. You... I've had that thought. So, you know, I, I'm I'm enjoying my time with it now. I, I actually quite like the big screen, um, and I really like. And I can, I just cannot wait to have all of the apps that I use support the split screen stuff. Nice. Look at you. Yeah. Know, it's, the the tricky thing I always find with the iPad is it's if I if it's if it's like when I work like work work like the, for the job I do like a, I kind of have to do it on a on a Mac because I, there is no Xcode for the iPad. Like it's, it, it's a, you know, my actual development environment is on, is on a, on a Mac. And like I work on, you know, a big 27 inch retina display and have a dozen windows open at a time. And so that type of work, I don't think I could do on an iPad. And so an iPad for me would probably end up then falling into the category of like for inter, for like entertainment or um, more sort of like light casual uses and it's never it's always felt like my you know my iphone is better at that because it's always with me it's tiny um it's i don't have to keep things in sync or make sure stuff's in two places it's like it's always just there it's always in my pocket and so i always end up like you know i've tried like having ipads around the house and so like maybe they'll be available you know, if they're available like when i'm sitting down to to look at something i'll just look at it on my ipad but it just seems to never really have clicked for me but it's, you know, and like in split view is nice, but it, it falls into that category of like, if you're using your iPad for um, like productive things, 
and the work you're doing can is possible to do on an iPad. It certainly seems to make it better. Um, you know, and the, like that's part of it's kind of nice, but I'm probably just good. If I'm going to be doing being productive, I'll be doing it on my Mac. And if I'm being unproductive, I will be unproductive on my phone, mm. probably still. I've never fully reconciled in my mind how I feel about this, but I find it, I just find it interesting that a lot of indie developers that I know don't use iPads. And it just makes me question if that is an issue for iPad development. That, you know, if you don't use the device, then maybe that people don't understand how to properly think about it. I don't know. Like, I'm not saying that it is that way or the other, but it's just always an interesting thing to me. Yeah, I think it's definitely a problem. And honestly, it's probably... It's, it's, it's one of the things that I imagine... Um, the, it's like there's two things that have probably slowed down in some ways, like true, genuine innovation on the iPad. And if those... Like, the two, like, I'm not saying that that isn't happening, but I think there's things that are like a drag on that and slow it down. Um, and, and one of them is just like the economics of the App Store in general and like the fact that to really make a like a, a full rich iPad app takes more work than an iPhone app in a lot of ways, or at least in some ways. And the app store isn't great at rewarding that necessarily. Um, and the other is that it yeah, it just doesn't seem it, it fits in the iPad is really powerful at, you know, a, a, it's really powerful and effective for a narrower group of people than the iPhone. And I just sort of by definition from that, that isn't going to, you know, there's a lot of people of who are like as who are developers but who fall into that category of not really having a good home for it or whom for whom it's it's a device that's purely just like for watching videos on or like reading news and things and so i do worry that you know i'm as i know for sure i'm not really able to take it full advantage of it and i'm not doing things on it that i probably would if i used it all the time um, but I'm not sure what Apple can do to, to turn that around because it's a very sort of chicken and an egg problem of the th- you know that there are things that are keeping me from doing it and because I'm things are keeping me from doing it it's I'm less able to do those things in the first place um, but it definitely is something that's weird and you know it's I'm sure my like I'm I make a lot of assumptions in my iPad apps that I'm are probably not hundred percent but. Like I've just never I've tried before to like force myself to use it more, but it never really works because you know I'm just get so used to doing things on my phone that it's always going to be more convenient and less of a hassle. Developers should consider using Xcode on the Mac to actually program and editorial on the iPad to write documentation for their apps, so they can they can use a little bit of both, and you know. <laughs> They can, they can get used to the iPad and they can uh, start using Markdown automation on the iPad. So, you know, it could be, could be an idea. You should sure. start a campaign, Federico. <laughs> Write your documentation on the iPad. Yep. You can do this. You, this, is, this is all on you now. No, yep. please don't, don't launch one of your hashtags again. <laughs> don't do one of those campaigns because people are just going to keep mentioning me on Twitter. And please don't, don't I don't know, Mike. Hashtag, you ruin my uh, life on I've a got one. basis. I've got one. Documentici. Oh, my God. Perfect. There you go. No, Hashtag oh Documentici. That's so what what, what what does a developer need to do uh, if he's, if they start writing documentation on the iPad? Take a screenshot 
and take a screenshot and use the hashtag documentici and then they can join the campaign for iPad documentation. Okay. Well, I, I, I will get more tweets thanks to you, Mike, I hope. I'm improving your brand uh, engagement scores. Thank you. What's my, what, what does this mean in clout score? Uh, seven. Okay, cool. That, so that's it's, good. It's that's good. good, right? That, that must be good, yeah. I, I want to talk about the iOS 9 public beta um, because that's something that we haven't really spent much time talking about and I think that there's some interesting ramifications from that. But before we do that, I want, this isn't really so much a sponsor. Um, it's just something that I want to talk about, which is App Camp for Girls. Um, App Camp for Girls is currently on a mission. They, In case you don't know what this organization does, they encourage girls to pursue app development as a career. They teach them how to make iPhone apps in a fun, creative summer camp program environment under the mentorship of women developers. Um, app Camp is shifting the gender balance in our industry and they're doing an incredible job. But they need to do more and they want to do more. With App Camp 3.0 is what they're currently targeting right now and they have a crowdfunding campaign that I'm going to tell you about in a minute. They want to bring this campaign to more girls in more locations. At App Camp for Girls, what girls go through a program of learning how to brainstorm, design, code and pitch their apps in just one week. It's a massive confidence builder. It shows people that this is a fun and creative business and it allows them to work with women in the industry, accomplished developers, designers, testers, support specialists and more whilst they're at the time at the camp. And right at the very last day, the girls pitch their applications and their ideas. And they do this in front of a panel of uh, investors and entrepreneurs, of course, all female investors and entrepreneurs they listen to the pitches and then they will give encouragement and ideas for future development now app camp for girls has grown incredibly they started with one camp in 2013 and now they have locations in portland seattle vancouver and canada and there are at least four new locations being considered for 2016 every camp that they do has had a waiting list so far and they also want to get to the point where they're able to build more capacity so they can reach all of the girls and all of the locations who want to be a part of this program, but this is where they need your help. To achieve these ambitious plans of scaling AppCamp, they need the support of everyone who wants to see more girls and women in tech. Your donations will buy equipment, recruit and train volunteers, and build the curriculum. Without the support of this community, AppCamp for Girls would not be possible. Uh, if you are listening to this and you believe in this, and you all should, I really, really would love if you would give them some money. This is so important that they are able to try and get the money that they need, and it's down to you to do that. Give as little or as much as you can. They have an Indiegogo campaign running right now to help them get the funding that they need. If you go to, this is a, a tricky URL, but it will be in the show notes as well, it will direct you straight there, or you can Google for App Camp for Girls Indiegogo, but it's ac, the number 4g.net slash relay, the number 4 App Camp. So ac4g, so App Camp for Girls, ac4g.net slash relay for App Camp. It'll have a link in the show notes. You can click it there, give what you can. Thank you very much. Okay, so the iOS 9 public beta. So if I'm right, guys, this is in July, right? This is going to be coming out? Should be. I think so, yeah. David, as a developer, does this terrify you a little bit? <laughs> it, I th it isn't great. It's not a, it's not a particularly uh, fuzzy and warm feeling. It is, I wouldn't say terrifying, but like... He's never terrified. David doesn't know what being... I mean, with all your apps... <laughs> yeah, I have no fear, but 
like and on the plus on the plus side it theoretically should mean that ios 9 when it ships is more stable and uh better for customers generally like obviously what do apple like apple is doing this for the for the obvious reason that if they have more people who are not developers using their beta software before it gets released to the wider audience that hopefully they will catch more bugs that they will things will ultimately be more stable that will identify issues earlier in the development cycle rather than like having to catch them you know in september they can catch them in july like that part sounds great it's you know there are a few things that are always a little bit terrifying about it though and obviously the most the biggest of which is like people who aren't developers will now be running my software on beta hard on you know on a beta os and any shortcomings in my application um, that they see will potentially, you know, in their mind, could, could reflect poorly on my app rather than on the OS. Um, hopefully, you know, they would be aware of that. Like, if they're running iOS nine and it's a beta, that it if things crash, if things don't work, like that that may not be my my fault. But you know, it's there's this ongoing. The biggest fear I think I probably have is that, you know, and you see this happen often where something will change in uh, a beta OS that means that like your app will just crash at launch every time anyone who runs it because you know like there, there's some weird thing that it's usually it's usually they're an easy fix or a very, like a very basic thing to do but that's the case and if someone then expect you know has think thinks that like my app is broken goes to the app store writes a one-star review you know like that's problematic and so like that's the part that makes me a little bit nervous um, like overall, it's, it's, it's kind of a mixed feeling. I think Apple, if, there's a few things Apple could do to make that less scary. Like making, so like, for example, if you're running the beta OS, you can't submit reviews in the app store would be nice or something like that. But, you know, generally speaking, I think Apple is doing it for the right reason that, I mean, all last year we were all complaining about iOS eight and how buggy it was or whether, you know, like, are they really as or, you know, like the things seem a little, bit, a little bit less, a little bit more broken than sometimes um, we would like, and so like if they're doing something like this, like getting more people on it, like that's them answering that question. It seems so. Like, mm, while it makes me nervous, I think it's probably overall a good thing. Like, obviously, there are implications for users, right? Battery life, st- instability, that kind of stuff, um, as well as it just being issues as a developer, like there are people that are going to install this that are going to end up being very unhappy. And I'm going to assume there will not be a simple downgrade path. Like you are kind of stuck is what I would, I would assume. It's probably the same as most iOS betas where you can restore your phone um, and it'll go back to the previous one typically. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, which is obviously not a straightforward and nice thing to do. Um, you don't, like you, you're restoring from a backup and all kinds of awkward things. Um, so, but I mean, hopefully also by the time it gets to the public, like we just got beta two today and you know, it seems I have it on a test device and it seems reasonable. Like my guess is by the time Apple makes goes public with it, like we're probably going to be talking about, you know, beta three, beta four, which maybe is reasonable in that way. Like you, the battery life may not be as good. There'll be some instabilities, but um, like if, the, if I imagine, you know, I'm sure Apple's being thoughtful about this and doing it in a way that they'll be able to like, you know, what they're showing them is, it's not like it's a release candidate. It's not, which wouldn't really at that point be, but they're doing something with it. I mean, 
another thing that is like as well as people like rating your app badly or whatever or complaining about it i assume that you would probably expect to see increased support during this period of time like or there could be a potential for that in some instances yeah and though honestly like that side of it like the the people coming directly to me and saying like i'm having this pro- i'm running the ios 9 beta and i'm having this problem like for me that is completely is, is utterly invaluable like i love that because either I mean, one of two things has happened either it's like it's an issue i'm aware of that i'm i've fixed or i'm about to fix in which case i can just tell them that like hey you know it's a known issue sorry um, or they've discovered something that I haven't. And mm-hmm. like that's the whole point in the first place of them running it is like if they find this weird case where on the new OS something breaks, like I'd much rather hear from it from like a limited group of people, um, you know, because especially like the thing that's kind of honestly in some ways scarier um, as an iOS developer now is like it's a wonderful thing that we have where iOS adoption is like ridiculously fast. I think last for iOS 8, we had almost 50% of people running it um, within like a week or a week and a half or something. Like it is like mind bending how fast that happens. But like the scary part of that is if something's broken, suddenly like half my, you know, half my customers are dealing with a broken issue um, for a week before I can get, you know, an app through app review. And so, like, in some ways, that pace can be kind of a scary thing, too. And so, like, if they can catch it, catch it early, like, I'll take that. You know, I'd, I'm uh, overall, like I said, I'm, uh, it's, it's a weird thing. And I think I'm very curious to see who is going to be, the, like, the, the, like, the typical person who's going to want to participate in the beta program. Like, is this people wanting to, like, just kind of, like, people who are super techie and, you know, like, would listen to Connected but aren't developers, like, that kind of person who really is engaged and likes this kind of stuff but, um, you know, isn't able to get it through the developer program? Is it, like, you know, just kids wanting to show off to their friends? Like, I don't know. who Who's that person going to be? And I think depending on which demographic it ends up actually being will have a pretty substantial impact on who, it, you know, how impactful it actually is, um, you know, to a developer. No, I think that there are some interesting avenues to consider of stuff that Apple could do or maybe should do to help make this process easier for developers as well because it will make it will have an impact. Um so for like sure. I wonder, you know, should they be able to, or should they uh stop people from being able to leave reviews during this period if they join the beta maybe? Would that I that would probably be a great help to you, right? Yes. I mean, I think that is the single biggest thing that would seem, and it just seems like it makes sense that like if you open the app store on a beta OS that you can't leave reviews. Um, Like maybe that's a bit of an odd thing for the customer. We're like, well, why can't I do that? Like I want to test everything out. I want to test how I can leave one star reviews. (laughs) Um, But I think that like things like that make a lot of sense to me where it's just like, I would love if you opened up the app store on a beta OS and you went to the review screen instead of it saying like, you know, we don't allow rev- uh, leaving of reviews uh, from beta OSs. If you have an issue, please contact your developer. And like Apple has my support email. Like it's part of iTunes, you know, of my app store page. And they just big have a big button that says like contact developer. If they hit a button, pops up a mail sheet with, you know, the information about their device and we can go from there. Like that would be amazing to, for me. Um, as a way to kind of f- focus that um, 
let's like focus the problems into a constructive place because inevitably there will be problems. And so if Apple can do whatever they can to funnel people towards like a productive output, that'd be great. Usually during this period, so say like between seven and eight, if there is a crash that's happening in your app in eight, but we're currently in the seven cycle or whatever, are you able to fix that? It's, It's... very situational. Sometimes you can. Um, the weird, the awkward thing is until probably the, I think it's the second Tuesday in September, typically, um, we won't be able to submit apps that are like linked against iOS 9, that use the new tools, that take advantage of the new stuff. And so if there's a problem that would require that, that like the Apple has ch- made some change in a way that like the only way to fix it is to use the new stuff to fix it, you are just stuck. You can't do anything to, to fix it. Like sometimes there are weird workarounds and things you can do, or, you know, the issue is just like it, like oftentimes the issue is more that uh, like the new OS exposed a bug that was already there that you can work around. Um, but it is definitely in a weird, awkward place you find yourself where, um, people are running software that you can't directly fix um, in a lot of ways because, like, other than putting them on test flight, I suppose, um, and sending them like beta builds of the app, like you're stuck with whatever the shipping version of your app is until um, you know, until September. Do you think that that should change? Um, I just I don't know how they could do it in a reasonable. It seemed a really awkward thing to like have multiple versions of binary submitted to the app store. I mean, essentially we have that with the test flight process um, where we can, you know, up to a thousand people, I think we could, you know, send testing builds to. And my suspicion is that it'll cover most cases. Um, Like hopefully the beta, I mean, honestly, I'm I'm hopeful that the beta process um, isn't like a tremendously wide audience that it isn't, you know, like they're not, there's not going to be, you know, 50 million people running the iOS 9 beta. Hopefully it's, you know, a few hundred thousand maybe or something like that, where more likely than not, like given for any for any particular app, the number of people who are having a particular problem is relatively small and enough that you could deal with it on a one, you know, one-off basis. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think for me, that would just seem, I would just think, make things really complicated um, if I was trying to manage not only like my shipping store version that most people see. Then there's another version that I've shipped to like customers through the store, but isn't part of that same process. Like I think it would just make things more complicated because I mean, the reality is it's only really for about what three months or two months. Um, so it'll probably be, which probably just work itself out. Federico, have you heard anything about the limits of people that can get into the beta? No. Not at all. And in fact, I don't even know what the the numbers for the uh, Yosemite beta last year uh, were. I have no idea. Was that a million? Uh, I don't know. Was it a million people on Yosemite beta? I don't know. I think you can. You need to sign up on a special Apple yeah. web page. It was beta.apple.com. There is a there is a page where you can sign up. And you can say, I want to be able to test betas from you eventually, and then Apple will decide if you if if you can participate in the in the in the beta program. But I don't know if they if they have any public numbers 
when it comes to to the number of users that they want to enable in the open beta. But something that I want that I wanted to to bring up in the uh, when David mentioned test flight, uh, so in the past few two weeks, and this is of course something that will uh, uh, stop being a new trend very soon. But few developers already have um, iOS nine betas for their apps. That some of them wanted me to 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 start playing around with the, with these betas on iOS nine, and because test flight. Uh, still doesn't allow to developers to upload the uh, builds for um, linked against iOS 9. Uh, I've seen after many many months uh, in invitations to download apps from Hockey, Crashlytics, yeah. huh. and all these services that I that I stopped using a while ago. And now in these past two weeks, because we're in a sort of limbo with with test flight, uh, I've been trying to use these services again and. My God, I, I remember, like, I realized how much better TestFlight is than all these services that you mm -hmm. need to install a certificate on your device, go to Safari, and it's just, you know, this... Uh, I, I, I think TestFlight is much better as a user experience. It's just you download an app from the App Store and you don't need to care about anything else. They got the orange dots, which you don't uh, like, Mike. I hate the dots. Uh, but it is a much better experience for the user. So in the in the past two weeks, I'm already trying this hockey and other services. I, I can't wait to to download betas from from TestFlight for iOS nine. I'm pretty sure you can do that now. I don't know if this is a new thing, but I'm pretty sure TestFlight like today supports iOS nine beta builds. I just logged into iTunes Connect and it says you can now do iOS nine beta builds through TestFlight. I don't, I don't know if that's recent. Is that internal testers or also like the public? Oh, okay, yes, yes. So the difference between internal yeah. testers, yes. Internal testers can do it, maybe not public testers. Yeah, so yeah. It's, I mean, the reality is I think that's going to be coming soon. And yes, everything other than TestFlight, having now used TestFlight, is <laughs> terrible. And yeah. I, I'm expecting yep. from, like, I'll be waiting until I can do invite public testers before I do any kind of, te uh, you know, inviting people to look at apps and things. Um, and I mean, at this point, it's also way early. Like, it seems kind of crazy to be sending out betas of things that can't be used properly until, you know, September. But yeah, I, I definitely agree. Anything other than test flight, like I, you know, using hockey or things like back in the day where you have to collect people's device IDs. Oh, God. And, oh my God. Like every time they <laughs> have, a, you know, like you, you get the email like, hey, Federico just got a new phone. Yeah. So now you need to go and update it. And it's like, that that was madness, yeah. and that's why it's a lot better. <laughs> my my main problem with those services was always that every now and then it would just stop downloading. It just wouldn't work anymore. Like apps just wouldn't download anymore, and it yeah. didn't matter what I did about it. It would just be like, oh, well, no, that just doesn't work now. It's like okay, yeah, <laughs> no more betas for you, Mike. Nope. Yeah, and there was just no. Yeah, we, and, and as a developer, I hated that process. I mean, it it was, I it was it was a nightmare to manage and 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 work with. And so, yeah, I mean, the the, the new test flight thing is great. It, it it works just like you how you'd want it to do it. Like all I need from you is your email address, and I can send you my app. Like that's exactly what I'd want to do. And so, I've been very pleased with that. I kind of wish that you that you the the test flight emails had a the change log for a build directly in the email 
instead of having to go to, yeah. to the test flight app to, to Me too. do what's new. I just wish I would stop getting those emails. Like, I would <laughs> just like to just get the push notification. I don't want the emails. Can I stop the emails in any way? Have you seen that, I Federico? I don't think you can. I don't think you can. Maybe you can create like a like a filter or like a rule on, on Gmail. Yeah, I'm going to do that because no. I get two notifications. Probably, you could probably do it in editorial, right? Editorial can probably do that for you. <laughs> Yeah. I well, imagine. in theory, you you should be able to to install a Gmail Python module and uh, exactly. You know, but Mike, uh, this is it's still so. Mike is now is now getting into the whole the whole iPad automation stuff. But maybe Python is still a bit early for Mike. But you will get there eventually, Mike. No. You, you will come to me and you will have a need for Python and you will say, "Look, I've come to I come so far." Now I need to automate some crazy podcasting stuff using editorial and, and Python. I know that that will happen, Mike. I'm scared of snakes. This week's episode of Connected is brought to you by Igloo, the internet you'll actually like. With Igloo, you don't have to be stuck at your desk to do your work, and you don't have to be stuck at looking at something that was, you know, basically seems like it was designed by somebody who didn't really like you because it looks so bad. This is a world that you don't have to worry about when Igloo is your intranet. You can manage your task list from wherever you want. You can do it when you're, you know, supposed to be concentrating on a meeting, but instead you just want to get some stuff done instead because the meeting's boring. Or maybe you want to share your status updates with your colleagues as you're on your way back from a sales meeting to congratulate yourself on the great deal that you've just done. Or maybe you want to work on a client's files from home or something like that whilst you're in your pajamas because nobody will really know because you can still be as productive in your pajamas and you can be productive with Igloo. These days, everything is mobile and your work should be too. But with that comes some frustrating things. Like, you know, these days, everybody wants to use mobile services like Box and Google Drive and Dropbox because they integrate with their devices and they love them and they want to use them. But what ends up happening is the documents that should be all in one place in your company get scattered all over the place. But Igloo allow you to integrate these services into one big, easy-to-secure platform. Igloo looks fantastic too. It's really configurable. You can give it a complete rebrand to look exactly like the look and feel of your team or company. And you are also able to, with their drag and drop widget editor, to reorganize the whole platform to fit the needs of specific teams as they need them. You can also share files with your coworkers for you all to collaborate on. You can also track who has read them with read receipts. This makes sure that everybody is on the same page and ensures that everybody is looking at critical information and it can be checked on when they need to. It's time to break away from the internet you hate. Go and sign up for Igloo right now and you can try it for free with any team of up to 10 people for as long as you want. So sign up right now at igloosoftware.com slash connected. Thank you so much to Igloo for their support of this show and Relay FM. So, Taylor Swift and Apple Music. I didn't want to spend a ton of time on this because the story, like Apple kind of ruined this for us because we didn't even get a week to complain about them. They no, just... seven, 17 hours on a Sunday. <laughs> so. 17 hours of arguments on the internet, um, which were destroyed by Eddie Q. I had so many thoughts and so many notes about how Apple was evil and then they kind of ruined it because they just gave the money. But I'm... Um, so basically, for anybody that's not aware of this, Taylor Swift wrote an open letter to Apple criticizing Apple for uh, the fact that they were not going to be paying people during the first three months, the three-month free trial of Apple Music. They were not going to be paying artists. Um, 
Apple had said previously to this that they were supposedly paying a little bit more and that kind of thing, and that all balanced it out evenly. But this wasn't enough, and Taylor was like, you know, I think this isn't fair. Um, I'm keeping my music off the service. I think other people should too, and I think Apple should pay. They have the ability to, etc., etc. And then, as Federico points out, 17 hours later, Eddie Q issued three very peculiar tweets um, to announce the situation uh, that were just weirdly worded and didn't even seem to be in the right order. And <laughs> that was the way that they decided to tackle this. Uh, then Eddie uh, made a selection of phone calls to different uh, media outlets to explain Apple's position on this. And it seems that Apple is going to be paying some money to artists during this period. But for it basically appears to be they will be paying the industry streaming average which is not what they will be paying after the first three mm-hmm. months so federico i'm mm, interested Mike. to know from you um how you felt about this like what is your what was your stance on the fact that this that you know once once taylor spoke out how did you mm-hmm. feel about apple and now how do you feel considering that they appear to have changed their minds well my my basic stance is that when you provide a service that offers content made by other people, it doesn't matter whether to your users the service is free because it's a trial. If you're offering content from other people and that content is usually paid content, they get money for that, it doesn't matter, you should be paying those people. That was my basic idea. So. On, with, I agreed with Taylor Swift on the on the principle that having a free trial that was free for the users, but also a forced free trial for the artists, I agree that that was very odd from Apple. I don't agree with Taylor Swift on her general thoughts on streaming and keeping her catalog off of Spotify and Google Music and uh, until today also Apple Music, but that's another topic. I think that... When it comes to Apple's interests, they shouldn't use music from other people as a way to convince users to try their new Apple Music service. Uh, because the, it's, it's, it's simply to me, you can make tons of different arguments and there were tons of different ideas on Twitter uh, that the free trial, you could make it up with a higher uh, pay rate eventually, but that's, that's a flawed argument because what if people don't, don't subscribe and you, you cannot apply the higher rate, then effectively you've just given away music for free. And there were other people saying, yes, but those three months uh, you benefit from the promotion uh, by Apple and the iTunes team on Twitter and Apple Music, which is another flawed argument because uh, you know th- there would be no promotion without the, the content from other people. Well, so, you and know, also exposure doesn't put food on the table. Exposure is when 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 you get people saying, "Look, we want to you we want you to work for free. We want you to give to give us your stuff for free," and and you say, "Yeah, but what do I get in return?" Well, you get exposure. That's you should run from those people always. Um, so my basic, uh, as soon as I read the open letter, my basic thoughts were that Taylor Swift was right on the trial. She's still, in my opinion, misguided about streaming. Uh, I don't think the streaming 
streaming scenario will play out as as she imagines but she's she is in the position to say i don't care about streaming i want people to buy my album and she she can say that but she's an exception and but yes i mean it was just obvious to me that apple was gonna was going to to change its decision and to start pay, paying artists it it seems like they reached uh an acceptable compromise you know we're gonna be, we're gonna pay the industry standard uh as, because we got people here for free and eventually we'll we'll pay a higher rate because we can get people to pay and and we believe in the paid model i i think that's a fair compromise uh because you you adapt to what others are doing so you adapt to the same rate of google of spotify and you know pandora and all these other radio services it that's fair i think that's it's like so many other people are obsessing over the fact that Apple is not paying the artists directly. They're paying the rights holders and the labels. And But that's just the way that uh, the music industry is structured. Uh, it, it, it just, you cannot... You cannot blame Apple for being part of a, of, a, of a whole bureaucracy and a whole structure that they cannot change overnight. Uh, the fact that, they're, that they've gone back to their you know, previous decision, they're now paying. That's that's good, but what what concerns me? So, since the Apple Music introduction, there were a lot of people commented on on problems in Apple Music, and those problems were some minor, some you know personal, and so they they complained about the intro, the Drake, the attitude dancing. Uh, the the long demo, the developer conference, but if if anything, I believe the 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 only concern that that I that I can come up with at, at this point was the was the decision of giving away music for free and later following some backlash from uh, indie uh, publishers in the UK and Germany and Taylor Swift, uh, you go back and you change your mind. That's a sign of concern uh, to me, not Drake, not Q, not the developer keynote. That's a sign of they're, they're trying this new game, they're trying this new service, a new, a new landscape for Apple, you know, music streaming, and at least in this case, they couldn't make make up their mind immediately on on a on a on a, on a stance. I we want to pay artists even during the free trial, and the the reversal is concerning to me. Especially uh, the speed. The speed. It's just why did you need Taylor Swift on a Sunday to call up Tim Cook and say, "Look, we gotta talk about this," and then you can put together a strategy. Uh, in, in 17 hours. Why did you need that? Why did you need that sort of, you know, uh, kick from a, from a popular uh, artist in, in in pop music to to say, yeah, we were wrong. It's just, you know, that's strange. It's always strange when you when you when you do that kind of uh, reversal so quickly. But anything else? Uh, the the fate of the fate of Apple Music uh, won't be decided by this. Uh, for as much as it sounds awful, people don't care. Uh, people want to pay. Uh, people don't want to pay. But if they want to pay, they want a good service. They want. I think that the family option will be especially popular because for fifteen dollars you get six six people. That's something that, at least to my knowledge, no other service offers. And 
whether Apple Music works or not, whether it'll be a major new service for Apple, whether it will establish itself as the leading streaming service in the music industry, that will be decided by the actual service, not by, uh, not even by Taylor Swift, and not, not by the trials, not by Eric Q making phone calls on a Sunday night. Um, th that will be decided by the service and whether the features are worthy of people's money. And that's coming in seven seven days. So yep. uh, the, 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 do you know the, the, the little Majora's Mask countdown? In Zelda, when when like the the moon is crashing uh -huh. on Termina, it's like uh, you know the little dialogue. How many hours is in seven days? I don't know. M many. A hundred and 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 many hours remaining. So we'll see next Tuesday. Uh, the family uh, plan would be a lot more appealing to me if it wasn't tied to iTunes family sharing or the iClub family sharing. Why? Because uh, I would like to pay for me and my girlfriend for apple music but i can't imagine that we're gonna dive into icloud family sharing as a thing because it, it just seems like a whole world of trouble for that you know mm. i feel like we would be there would be ramifications that are wider that we then have to deal with like itunes purchases and things like that it feels like you you're not ready to to say you're a family that is true. That is very true. Uh, moving along, David, what's your opinion on on the Apple Music stuff? Like, do you have any kind of differing opinions to Federico at all? The thing that I think is most like the actual like contract negotiations are hardly like something that is particularly interesting like to think about. Like, it's ultimately it's always going to come down to who has like who has the most power, who wants it more. How, you know, who's, how much they're willing to spend to get that. Like, that's just, like, I don't know, like, that doesn't particularly interest me. The part that is fascinating about this, though, is that, like, it seems very, there is something very fundamentally strange that, like, a major uh, musician, like, a, you know, very, like, a, one of the, probably one of the best known musicians now in the world, like, calling out Apple and then, like, Apple trying, like, immediately flipping around on that and then like trying to engage on Twitter with her. And like, like it just feels awkward. And it, the thing that makes that I think about as a result is it's like, is it indicative of like, I sort of think about like Apple connect, right? Like this whole thing where they're like in with the artists and like super connected and like have the social media thing. And like, it's an area that I think that this is not a, gr a great example of them being really connected with artists and being, like in it in that way. And on the flip side, there's also like, it feels a little bit like Apple, like obviously Apple, I mean, it's they're the most profitable company in the world. Like they're like, but you kind of wonder if they're because of that and there's because of what they're used to being able to do in, um, you know, what they're able to do in other areas. Like if they go into a, con a contract negotiation at Foxconn or something like, I imagine they can just power through that and do amazing things. But in this case, like the artists, they need them and they have to respect them in a way that they're just may not are being used to. And that's kind of worrying in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think that's interesting, right? Because I think that they walked in and they were like, hang on a minute, we revolutionized music and then realized that the entire music industry has changed since they did that. And, 
like Apple were once the internet music company and then the entire industry changed again and they are now just catching up at this point. And and I think that that threw them off guard a bit. I think that maybe Eddie Q and, and Jimmy Iovine thought that they could walk into these negotiations and play hardball. But it's actually turned out that the, the music labels, they don't need Apple anymore. Um, and they definitely don't need Apple like they needed them 10 years ago. Um, and and I, think, I don't know. Well, what I mean is, I don't. Do you? I don't think that the the music labels are crying for either. Well, let's say Apple does do something revolutionary again. The music labels don't want Apple to have all that control again. They, they, it's the taken them ten want... years to get away from that, and now they might be walking back into it again. Which is why I don't think that they are at a. They are not as strong in the negotiations as they used to be. Well, but the music labels are always happy when they see the money. So maybe they don't know it yet. But I mean, if, if, if Apple's plan works, there'll be a lot more people paying for streaming than there are people using Spotify or Google Music for free with ads. So the labels may say, we spent 10 years to get away from the iTunes store and to get away from Apple. But as soon as they see the money, I bet they will be a lot more friendly to Apple. I don't know, man, because iTunes made a lot of money, but they didn't like that Apple had all of the power. I don't know if the, if the record labels want to get back into that situation with them again, because you know they. What I think one of the reasons, I mean, because this music streaming service has been rumored for years, and my understanding is the deals weren't done when they were on stage two weeks ago. I think that the record labels are playing hardball with Apple for, because, and they have been doing it for years because they don't want Apple to be in control again. But we'll wait and Do see. I mean, it's probably at this point everybody is going to get on board. I think that there's... Pr- I, th- I, I am making a bet here that at least one major record label will not be signed up next week. What's stronger as a desire for the music labels to get away from the free uh, strategy of YouTube and Spotify or to get away from Apple. Because if you consider the, the, the basic problem for the, 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 the these big corporations is not Apple as an evil entity, is people not paying for music. So even if they may despise the way that Apple does business and that maybe, you know, Apple stuff only works usually on Apple devices, even though, you know, with Apple Music could also be on Android, even if they may not like the way that Apple is structured, uh, I, I think they, they, they don't like not having money more. So if you can convince these people that, yes, it, it's Apple, and yes, maybe you don't like some of their ways, but there's people using YouTube and Spotify and you're not getting you know, money from those people. Now you can get some money from those people and maybe even a lot of money, but it's with Apple. I, I, in my mind, they won't particularly well, care. And the- it goes back to arguing where the money comes from, which was one of your points in your article about Taylor Swift and you were talking about concerts and stuff. The labels take a cut of that. So they're still getting the money. It's just moving where the money comes from. And look what, what Apple Music has, a connect section. <laughs> that I, I mean, eventually it's only obvious that they will sell concert tickets inside Apple Music. 
again, so like, do they want all of that in Apple's ecosystem? I don't know if they. Do. I really don't know if they do. But like, if it's ir- money, I don't know, man. I, f- I feel like you're considering too logical a scenario. I'm considering for money. Labels. I'm only looking at money. That that's to me the only metric with these corporations. That if they are happy with the money, they're also happy with the people who control the money and they, they give the money to. Hmm. I don't know. I, mean, I don't it, know. Well, a lot of this too, I think, comes down to who needs who more, right? Yeah. Like, did if Apple feels like they they need to have a compelling music offering on their platform to have a compelling platform, then Apple needs is going to need to pay for it. I imagine if the record labels feel like they need Apple because they don't like whatever that Spotify or RDO or YouTube is taking over their business, then like they'll pay a lot more for it. But it's ultimately like anything like this is just going to come down to who, who needs who more. But I agree. Mike, I agree with the, with your thought on, on Apple kind of coming back to the music industry and realizing that uh, like since the last time they, they, uh, you know, they walked in and they made the iTunes store and now they're kind of late to the streaming uh, service wars and they are realizing that, you know, there's a lot of players in town. Kind of feels like, kind of feels like your dad going to the same club as you and realizing that kids these days use different drugs than you remembered. <laughs> and, you know, you know that it, like, when you go to the club, then that there's that guy in his 40s and he's like looking around and he doesn't know what to do and like he has a drink but he doesn't know what type of drink he's supposed to drink that's apple with streaming services but the the question is whether they can you know adapt quickly and if the especially the connect section and the beats one which i think very few people are talking about uh, if these two things are successful they can kind of reshape the 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 way that you think of a streaming service for music and if they are successful which is a big bet and a big question but if they are if people kind of if a lot of people come to expect or come to talk about connect and beats one i bet that within a year spotify and google music will will have the same features i think there is the, the question that remains to be answered and it's something we can't see for a while is Will Apple Music really be enough to make people switch or, but more importantly, to make people start to pay who are not paying? Because that's what they're betting on, right? But will that happen? We don't know. It's going to be interesting to see next week. I expect we'll have a lot more thoughts on next week's episode. Yeah, for sure. We're actually going to be recording on Wednesday next week, um, which will give us all time to play around with the service a little bit yeah, more, I just so wanna, you look forward to that. I just want to make sure that iOS 9 devices will get the uh, the, the music uh, stuff next Uh-oh. week. <laughs> yeah, that's a problem because, well, I mean, I'll have to reinstall iOS 8 for reasons that I'll explain eventually uh, this weekend anyway. So I think that by, oh. I don't know, if by Wednesday I'll have iOS 8 still. So right now on iOS 9 Beta 2, the, the music app is still the old music icon. It doesn't look like we'll we'll get the... I don't know. I, I mean, we could get Apple Music on iOS 9 next week, but with the old icon for the app, 
maybe i don't know i I would expect ios you won't get apple music next week in ios 9 yeah that'd be my suspicion because yeah they're not there's not going to be beta 3 next week of ios 9 yeah so yeah and it's kind of not important like during that period the the public beta will have it i can assure you (laughs) so maybe it would change then to maybe beta 3 or 4 or something Right, I think that about wraps up this week's episode. Thank you so much to Mr. David Smith for joining us. David, where can people find your work online if they would like to do that? Uh, I am at underscore David Smith on Twitter or uh, developingperspective.com. Excellent stuff. Thanks again to our sponsors this week, Igloo, Casper, and don't forget to check out AppCamp for Girls as well. Um, if you want to find us online, uh, I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Federico is at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. And Federico writes over at MacStories.net. And this week's show notes for uh, episode 45 of Connected can be found at relay.fm slash connected slash 45. And we'll be back next week. Until then, say goodbye, guys. Arrivederci. Adios. Oh, nice.